0: The daughter of an immigrant from Italy has been chosen has been chosen to run for president in the new land my father came to love. Our faith that we can shape a better future is what the American dream is all about. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was vice presidential candidate Geraldine Ferraro's nomination speech in 1984, when she stood as the first woman from a major party nominated for vice president. I'm Jason Franklin, senior advisor at One for Democracy. Today's Tuesday, August 3rd. So moving from 1984 to today, I'm keeping my eye on five key issues this week. Action in Congress, on infrastructure and voting, Some of the COVID aid measures are ending, including the eviction moratorium, impending renegotiation around the debt ceiling that's going to drive legislation this fall, COVID mask and vaccine mandates, and the special elections happening in Ohio today. So first, after months of work and a rare weekend Senate session, the Senate unveiled a more than 2,700-page long $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal, that did have bipartisan support. They had 17 Republicans, as well as all Democrats vote to move it forward and expect to have 10 or more Republicans vote in favor of the bill to break the filibuster and pass it. Now, of that $1.2 trillion, $550 billion, about half represents new spending on roads, bridges, highways, broadband, water infrastructure, and more. Reminder that in addition to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, Democrats also plan to pass a budget blueprint for a $3.5 trillion social spending package. And House Speaker Pelosi has actually said they must pass the spending package in the House before the House will vote on the infrastructure bill. Senator Schumer has vowed to pass both measures before the Senate leaves for the August recess. Meanwhile, the other big piece of federal legislation is the For the People Act, and the work has continued very quietly on that front. A new version is supposedly being revised right now by a very tight-lipped group of Democratic senators, including Senator Manchin. And the reports coming out from the limited reporting and kind of murmurs that are leaking is that it will include protections against partisan gerrymandering and state voter suppression, but it may leave out some big pieces of the campaign finance reform for a later piece of legislation. While it's a critical priority to pass before the August recess if it's going to impact redistricting this fall, with Biden and others not prioritizing reforming the filibuster, how this bill gets passed remains the question. I'm going to frankly expect a lot more positioning in the coming days, and then a flurry to pass it just before the recess if it happens at all. And certainly hoping it does. Another big piece of news this week is that many of the COVID aid measures are ending. On Friday, Congress failed to renew an 11th month old pandemic-related moratorium on residential evictions. The end of the moratorium on Saturday places almost 16 million Americans at risk of eviction. More than $46 billion in rental assistance has actually been approved by Congress over the last year, but only $3 billion ever got distributed to renters. Due to a combination of very slow action by federal officials under Trump, arduous application processes to get access to the money, very confusing standards for who was eligible, and in some cases even landlords refusing the money because they felt there were too many strings attached, raising questions for many people about when Congress does allocate money if it doesn't reach people, can you actually call it action? So if we do see this expected wave of foreclosures, possibly three to four times more than in an average year and in a more condensed period of time. I am expecting a lot of finger-pointing of blame games and perhaps some added momentum to taking action on economic justice policies. In addition to the moratorium ending, advocates and policymakers are also bracing for the end of many other programs. Expanded unemployment benefits with an additional $300 a week will end in early September, although 25 mostly Republican states have already ended that unemployment benefit. Food stamp benefits, which gave some households an extra $100 a month, will end on September 30th. And starting October 1st, student loan borrowers have to start paying back their federal loans again. All of these will add fuel to the fire to address the extreme economic inequality we see in our country. But whether any action is possible depends on the really slim Democratic majority in the Senate, since Republicans have withstood any calls for action so far. And Kristen Cinema in Arizona just came out and said she opposes the $3.5 trillion social spending package as it currently stands. So whether it gets pared down or sustained may depend on how ending these programs impact people's lives and the political debate in our country this fall. Another thing to keep your eye on for the fall will be the impact of the debt ceiling on future legislative efforts. The Treasury Department announced that it's going to invoke extraordinary measures to pay off the government's bills without issuing new debt, which it can do roughly until mid-October, after Congress missed the deadline over the weekend to extend or increase the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is the maximum amount the federal government is allowed to borrow under statutory law to finance its operations. And that limit can only be raised by Congress. It currently sits at about $22 trillion. And historically, raising the limit and hitting the debt ceiling has offered the minority party leverage to pass or not pass certain things in exchange for lifting that debt ceiling. Although this time around, it could be included in the 3.5 trillion dollar social spending package the reconciliation bill is being developed by senate democrats and senator mitch mcconnell actually said he will not support a standalone debt ceiling bill and is going to force democrats to do it on their own partisan posturing also continuing on the COVID front This week, a new report was released by the minority staff, the Republican staff of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, exploring whether the Wuhan Institute of Virology could be the source of the virus, highlighted data they believe suggests there was an earlier outbreak that was covered up. The report has no new evidence. It's instead really just intended to stoke debate. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham tested positive for COVID despite being vaccinated, although he has mild symptoms. And many House Republicans are flouting the reintroduced mask mandate put in place by Speaker Pelosi. Mask mandates like that and vaccine requirements are also spreading around the country. Dozens of major companies, over 600 universities, and government agencies now including the federal government imposing new requirements as the Delta variant pushes infections back up to highs not seen since February. Republicans are slowly shifting their resistance, both politically and from a messaging perspective around the vaccine. But whether it's too little too late to prevent another major surge and return to lockdowns remains to be seen. And how, if it creates enough pressure to break through this partisan posturing, too soon to tell, although I'm a little bit skeptical personally. Last thing I'd look at, special elections in Ohio today. Uh, Two congressional races. In the deep blue 11th district, as I've mentioned before, Democrats will choose between progressive icon Nina Turner or establishment candidate Chantel Brown in what's seen as a test of progressive power base. No new polls or data since the last ones I've mentioned, so Turner is heading into today with an edge, but we'll see how things play out. Now, also in the state, in the red 15th district, the power of Donald Trump's endorsement in primaries is going to be put to the test for the second consecutive week. Last week, his backed candidate in Texas lost. This time, he's supporting coal company lobbyist Mike Carey. But there are a bunch of other prominent conservatives who are getting substantial backing from other parts of the Republican Party. There's been no real polling on the Republican side, so it's anyone's guess how this plays out. But if Kerry loses... Many would consider this a sign that Trump's endorsement, which has been so coveted, may not be as powerful as it was thought. Although also recent FEC disclosures show that Trump and his various political action committees has now over $100 million in the bank. So the endorsement may not be as powerful, but there's a lot of money behind it. So how this plays out for the midterm elections is what everyone is looking at. Where are we standing as we look towards the fall? So thanks for joining us to hear a quick review of the key issues this week, including congressional action on infrastructure, a look ahead at issues impacting fall legislation, and indications of political strength as we head into the midterms. I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, August 3rd. and Thanks for joining 10 Minutes on Democracy.